Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Sean's Wildlife Podcast. Uh, We really have a treat in store for you on this episode. Anyone who's listened to any of the podcasts before will know that I'm a big fan of rewilding and you will have maybe listened to a few further episodes about that topic. Um, But one of the stars of the rewilding movement, I suppose, in UK conservation is um, a very large rodent. It is the beaver. And you may have heard things about the beaver reintroduction to the UK um, already. But we're going to talk today about uh, the Beaver Trust. And we've got two very special guests, so two for the price of one. Um, And I think after listening, you two will become a beaver believer like I am. So today we have Chris Jones, who is a farmer and ecologist in Cornwall. And Chris Jones was involved in setting up and running the Cornwall Beaver Project in 2014, which was recently featured on BBC Spring Watch. And then we've also got Sophie Pavel, who is a zoologist and a science communicator who's leading comms and campaigns for the Beaver Trust. So, guys, thank you so much for coming on. I am honestly very, very excited to spend an hour talking about beavers. Oh, thank you for having us. It's a pleasure. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, Chris, um, some of our listeners might not know a huge amount about um, beavers. Hopefully by the end they will. But can you just uh, tell us a little bit to start with about who are the Beaver Trust and, and kind of what do you do? Well, we're a very, very new charity. Uh, we haven't even been set up for 12 months yet. Um, and, and it came about from a conversation I had with um, a couple of the other now directors of the Trust uh, back in about March last year and there was a, a a general aspiration i think to to get into repairing a lot of the ecological damage that ha- happened to farmland and um it came about from me saying well uh, yeah, i am a farmer so i've got some idea of the, the issues with that and i said lowland lowland farmland is going to be very very precious for growing food uh, um, the more so as time goes by so to be advocating lots and lots yeah. of NEP probably isn't going to really work. But what we do have is extraordinary, extraordinary opportunity with beavers in our river systems. You, know, you can't plough a river, you can't grow wheat in a river, but you can do a hell of a lot for the, uh, for the wildlife uh, and the ecological, ecological integrity of the river by getting these animals back. Uh, and, um, and so uh, we, we coalesced uh, four or five of us uh, around this idea and um, began to look at how we could really mainstream the beavers, renormalize it in our landscape, because it's been here now for uh, about 20, perhaps 25 years in, in uh, Britain as a whole, uh, um, in, in albeit small numbers. And um, we think we should be really doing our damnedest to get the, the beaver out uh, into a lot more um, uh, locations around the country and a lot bigger numbers. Yeah. So the trust is kind of acting as advocates for kind of more widespread beaver reintroduction. Is that right? Very much so. And um, we uh, spend a lot of time convening 
um, uh, contacts between all the various stakeholders, uh, people who are clearly pro-beavers and people who probably pretty clearly aren't pro-beaver. Um, we do a lot with uh, education and out outreach to um, uh, all sorts of bits of society, particularly schools and colleges in my case, uh, and farmers and communities, uh, certainly down here in the southwest and, and more broadly. Um, and it, it's it's really, we're, we're, we're trying to build those bridges between uh, uh, the environment yeah. and landowners and communities and back to government to say, come on, guys, we really need this animal now. Let's do it. Great. Yeah. So we'll talk about the kind of, um, I guess, government reaction and some of the opposition to beavers in a bit. But maybe, Sophie, you'll describe, uh, you know, what is a beaver and why do we all think they're so wonderful? <laughs> uh, very good question. I mean, I've been sort of mildly obsessed with beavers ever since the River Otter Beaver Trial um, started to, to develop um, back in 2015. I live in East Devon, so I live very near the River Otter. So it was a natural kind of fit for me to, to be interested in the fact that an animal that had become extinct and has been extinct from our waterways for over 400 years was being trials, you know, in a very sort of slightly dramatic way on my local river was amazing. So, and at the time when it first Pretty lucky. Started, yeah. At the time when it first started, I was um, still doing zoology at uni. So it was just, you know, for, for a student trying to better understand the natural world, to have that going on was just amazing. And I think the more that um, the, I kind of lament the fact that we never really got, we got taught about keystone species at uni, but we never really got taught about the beaver. And I just think that it's kind of been an amazing process learning from scratch, pretty much. Mm. How many services this animal offers in terms of um benefiting biodiversity broadly from kind of a bottom-up grassroots approach um to to even benefiting us and and helping to mitigate um against the effects of flooding and then we're also seeing and i think chris might be able to talk a bit about this um in a bit uh mitigating against the effects of drought um so in terms of providing invaluable benefits to us as well and to kind of future-proof our towns and cities against the effects of climate change, um, you can't sort of put a figure on that because the amount of engineering these guys do, you know, they can fell a tree in, in minutes, depending on the size, of course. Um, and, you know, human engineers env should envy the skill of these mammals. Um, and the fact that it's just so innate in their biology to engineer and to and to be really industrial on the river, um, and then the byproduct of their gnawing and their dam building and their um, feeding and the way they breed and the way they disperse, the, the the byproduct of that being kind of ecosystem regeneration and breathing life back into very kind of weary, tired. Um, stress landscapes it's just there's no other animal that does all of those things um and that actually is native to britain let alone yeah. you know, a really one of the bit the second biggest rodent in the world um it's just incredible you know these crazy facts like their their teeth are bright orange they're almost like a sort of brick red because they're totally impregnated with the iron to allow them to, you know, fell an oak tree or fell a willow, consistently, yeah. relentlessly feeding on hardwood, 
Um, and you just think these animals are just built for what they do. Um, and it's yeah. very rare that in Britain that we have access to and that we can see an animal that is utterly at home within its environment and that we can actually see visible signs of its work and understand from a sort of ecology perspective that this animal has adapted to this environment and has evolved alongside and the and the species that occur within that environment have also evolved alongside the beaver so when you think about it like that it's kind of a no-brainer that it should be allowed back into our landscapes but yeah, it's just a lot. It's sort of a, a missing link, almost, isn't know, it? That we've forgotten exactly. about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, yeah. just utterly unique in its biology and its purpose. Yeah. And Chris, why did it go extinct in the first place? So Sophie mentioned about four hundred years absence from UK, which means we have forgotten about it and forgot it was ever here. And it's this shifting baseline syndrome that we t- talk about all the time, where we just don't realise how denuded our landscape is and, and what we've done to our river systems and wetlands but why why did the beaver die out in britain uh, basically through human persecution sean it was um uh very useful as a, a source of meat um they're a chunky animal um they have a wonderful fur uh which is uh, i believe uh, in the past yeah. was used quite a lot in royal uh, uh clothes for example um but also they have castorium glands, okay. and these glands contain um, salicylic acid, uh, or in, in the in the exudation from that gland, and that was used in herbal medicine, um, in perfumes, in vanilla flavoring. Think of that when you have an ice cream next. Mm. Um, they, they, these glands were incredibly uh, useful. Yeah, and the other thing about them is, of course, is yeah. they're relatively easy to catch. Okay. Particularly in headwaters, you know, they're they're a big animal, slow on land, um, very obvious, so not hard to catch. Yeah, yeah. Um, that relates to their their scientific name is castor fiber, isn't it? Yes. So oh, ca- castor yeah. is yeah, so uh, for. Um, I, did a, I did a little undergrad. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say ca- castor refers to uh, uh, their testicles. They believed. Because they have no external testicles, they believed that beavers would actually uh, uh, bite off their own testicles uh, in order to uh, uh, easier no. escape from um, from predators. This is absolutely a thing, and uh, um, everything is tucked away inside uh, neatly for uh, a, a, uh, uh, an aquatic existence. For streamlining, is it? <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Wow, that's there you a go. The fact question. Coming, Sophie. I know. Goodness <laughs> me, I'm going to make a note of that for for a future quiz for sure. That's a, yeah. that's a fun fact for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, I mean, they're not called ecosystem engineers for nothing. Um, you know, so you've touched on they're they're kind of great for what we're facing now with climate emergency and things, mm-hmm. um, reshaping river systems and wetlands and things. But just going back to their basic biology. How do they do that or why do they do that? They're, they're basically creating kind of um, water bodies so they, they're safe from land predators. Isn't that why they're doing what they do with damming water and, and creating new water systems? Yeah, sure. So um, I think we like to sort of spin the narrative in a way that makes beavers the most kind of altruistic, forward planning, 
um, yeah. thoughtful creatures on earth that kind of have this ulterior motive of helping all life within its immediate yeah. surroundings but it, it obviously doesn't do that it's I think you know it's not the smartest animal in the world but there is a method you know in your for example down on Chris's farm at Woodland Valley Farm where they've got the Cornwall Beaver Project um, lots of the dams and the stick piles look very random and very haphazard but um, as Chris will testify you know there's a real method to to how they do it and that is just pure instinct um and you're right yeah so they they build these dams which then dam the water behind it making these lovely uh still pools and then um that's a really lovely uh sort of safe protected space uh from land predators um and then also they they it's essential that they submerge the entrances to their lodges um, so that's a nice concealed entrance. So when they have kits, which is around this time of year, that they'll they'll emerge. So the kits stay in the in the lodge for a couple of weeks, and then they start to emerge and have their sort of swimming lessons, I guess. Um, mm. So it's it's very much a sort of sneaky way of of concealing the entrance to the lodge and kind of having a I want to say sort of nursery area for develop, developing young much as we would and much as you know dolphins do and sharks yeah. do and other mammals um although sharks not a mammal <laughs> um <laughs> they and um yeah so, so we, it, we can edit that big out don't worry no i knew what you meant we, for can, we can edit that out <laughs> great you're um, just listing species to look after their young it's fine <laughs> they're just yeah but yeah it's been a long day it's been a long day sure um I, oh i know <laughs> um yeah, no, and the 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 where the magic happens is what comes as a result of these still pools as a result of the dams. So not only have you got the kind of effects that humans are interested in from like an economic and an infrastructure sense of the fact that they can slow the peak flow rate of floods and slow the headwaters so that they can lessen the effects of a flash flood, for example, um, mm. but from a biology ecology sense these um lovely pools create all sorts of uh clean water and gravel beds which really attract uh, migrating salmonids so salmon and trout where they love to come and spawn in these lovely clean gravel beds um yeah. also great for insects and dragonflies and damselflies um and birds spotted flycatchers all these sorts of things it's a very much a bottom-up approach and water bowls right and water bowls yeah yeah and facilitating structural diversity at sort of every level um mm. and it's sort of a, a famous saying i get well, i remember learning at, at uni that where, wherever you have water or wherever there's a body of water you will attract some sort of life um and i know that chris has found in his in his uh, beaver pond, haven't you, Chris? That you've got algae growing as well. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say that that is the 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 real the real heart of this is that beavers create the conditions for a lot more life. There's a stream running through, fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As soon as you get the as soon as you get them building a pond, the, the velocity slows right down, and algae can begin to grow. And algae is the base of all aquatic food chains and uh, so straight away it, it's it's just like it's just like throwing food out there if you throw lots of food out there stuff will come and eat it yeah and and that's what we're doing by getting the beavers there uh, they're the most extraordinary animal of course in a deep river uh, um let's say yeah, that, absolutely that the, that the thames down at um 
I don't know, uh, uh, Richmond somewhere, they won't do any dam building at all because there's, there's too much river there. So nothing much changes with beavers apart from a few trees getting nailed. As soon as you get into the headwaters, shallow streams, then the magic really, really happens. And am I right in saying they'll actually create waterways and canals and things like that? So they create new wetlands off the main river at times as well? Sean, you have just no idea what they'll do. Uh, I've seen them, um, uh, for a starter, <laughs> uh, dig little canals uh, going out from um, a pond out into the uh, into the countryside so they can swim along to where their favourite food source is. And then it's very easy to move stuff through water coming back again. Yeah, That's one thing. But I've actually seen in a place uh, in Devon where there were some babies in an enclosure without really a water course in it, but just some very, very wet ground. And they began to dig down into that wet ground, ground and dig a ditch. And they dug and they dug and they dug until that wet ground began to seep into it and create a little stream. And once they had running water, they could build ponds. So, yes, they, they create watercourses if they're given. Amazing. Them. Absolutely sh- extraordinary. Uh, you, yeah. you cannot get over how ingenious these animals are and adapting the landscape to suit them. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I'm like a total pond geek since I was about two years of age. So if you're probably the same, I think if you're <laughs> yeah. that fascinated with frogs and bugs and all sorts. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, definitely get a thumbs up for creating new ponds for well, me. But, yeah, uh, yeah, the beaver is just go the godfather of water. So if you like yeah. ponds and you like pond dipping and you like to see what's under the water, as soon as you see a beaver and you start to see very easily how it facilitates all your favourite pond-dipping delights. <laughs> Just a bit yeah. of a brain explosion of joy. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Now, Chris, you mentioned that um, you know they've been around or they've been back in Britain for about 20, 25 years. Um, when I was a baby vet, a new graduate vet, I did work a little bit with the Wildwood Trust down in Kent, um, and they were breeding um, beavers there and uh, involved in the is it a there's a fen near Sandwich in Kent, which was one of the That's sites right. where they were reintroduced. Yeah, yeah. Um but where um how have how come they've been around, you know, for um twenty, twenty five years? Who first brought them back? How did that happen? Was it, you know, deliberate or under the radar? Like where have they come from? when, when did people start thinking it's time now to bring beavers back and how did it start to happen? Well, the rewilding movement uh, started up, I guess, uh, properly in the 80s. And there was a whole load of, uh, of work going on um, with various academics and interested people uh, about how we could begin to return some of the megafauna that we've lost uh, over over thousands of years here. And um, beavers are obviously one of those. Yeah. And... Um, I think the the uh, the thing began to get serious and real with a few private collections being set up, um, uh, particularly in Scotland at that stage. Uh, and then, unbeknownst to anyone, yeah. some beavers were released or escaped, one or the other. Um, and I, I think probably escaped because uh, in the long run, there's probably no enclosure unless it's made of concrete, which will keep beavers forever. Uh, so they can escape, and they did this... Um, Initially, I, I think, around the River Tay uh, catchment. So that was the very, very first. And for years yeah. and years, nobody knew. 
and they were just out there and living a blameless life um, uh, and they weren't probably noticed properly for, for a good 10 years or so. Anyway, um, in that during that period, uh, the Kent Wildlife Trust with Wildwood, they set up this, uh, this plan to bring some beavers back there and to go into ham fen. And that's been going really, really well. But ham fen, that's it. That, yeah. That's right, yeah. But um, uh, other beavers have managed to escape from either from Wildwood or from ham fen itself. And there, there's now quite a thriving little population on the River Stour. Uh, again, no one really talks about it very much, but they're there and they're doing great and there isn't very much uh, public um, uh, knowledge of it, and there's certainly not very much conflict with existing uh, uh, landowners or land use or whatever, so that's lovely. Uh, and then we had something, good, good. something yeah. similar happen on the River Otter um, a few years back, and they were there for several years before they were noticed. Uh, and the same thing has now happened on the River Tamar, uh, where there's quite a, quite a, a, a nice little population growing. I mean, none of these are anywhere near capacity uh, for the for the landscape. You know, they 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 grow quite slowly. They're not like rabbits or rats, which breed really really fast. They only have one litter a year, and maybe somewhere from two to six young in a litter. And they're subject to predation from things like uh, otters, for example, the little ones. Um, so that they 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 don't grow very fast, but they can. They can grow away gently, and very often people are not really aware that they're there until they get to that point when they're in shallower water where they can begin to build dams or in a place where they can um, uh, uh, clearly start knocking down quite obvious trees and things where people go. And, uh, you know, this, this, is, this is sort of what's given them away, I guess. Um, and we're in a situation now as well where, where a, a number of uh, NGOs have had uh, little enclosed populations um, in order to uh, study particular aspects of them, which is what we have here at the Cornwall Beaver Project. Um, and these are acting as, as lovely engagement tools for the public. Uh, um, and, and certainly I see Cornwall Beaver Project as being just a, a demonstration of something much, much bigger, which we hope we're beginning to get into now. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, yeah, you know, we've now got several hundred across the UK, um, and uh, I can only see that increasing. Yeah, I'm just looking at the map right now, actually. So your website is beavertrust.org. It's a brilliant website. It tells everyone everything they need to know, I think, about beavers. But the map is quite interesting, yeah, to see how many locations they're in. Definitely a big um, kind of concentration up in Scotland. And so you mentioned the trial on the River Otter down near you. That, that ended pretty recently, didn't it? And there's a report came out. Uh, that's right. Yeah, so that officially ended, um, well, it's, it's been back in, it ended in March, but then I think DEFRA um, suddenly asked for a, a six-month yeah. extension, didn't they, Chris, um, on the results of that trial. Um, so Exeter University and Devon Wildlife Trust teamed up throughout the whole five-year trial and um, produced at the end of it a uh, science and evidence report, which is available for public reading just by their website. Um, and then that details all the data that they collected over the five years in terms of the beaver's impact and uh, different biodiversity and ecology surveys and um, flood measurements and flood surveys and also public opinion yeah. polls as well, um, which are really important. 
And then alongside that, they had a complementary document, which was called the, I think it was called a management framework strategy or something, which basically is a really useful document that kind of does a case-by-case analysis of where beavers have perhaps breached farmland and how they mitigated against that and how they managed it and the management techniques that they used to help promote a more yeah. harmonious coexistence of the beavers in the otter catchment, which is so important if you're going to try and convince, um, you know, the mass public, yeah, British yeah. society, the public, yeah, to, to, you know, deal with the fact that we want to bring large mammals back into popular areas where the landscape has changed beyond recognition since the beavers were last here so naturally any disturbance that they cause is deemed as foreign and invasive and alien because we haven't lived in the landscape that beavers yeah. created yeah. And i was going to say that's so critical with rewilding in general you know we're talking now about a beaver which to us is like it's not that large an animal and it's you know it's not that um you know unsavory to to most people we'll talk about that in a second you know we're not talking about bringing back lynx or wolf or bear, bears yet we're talking about beavers but even with that you do need <laughs> yeah. to have dialogue and engagement from the public maybe we'll talk about that on another podcast <laughs> let's stick to beavers now but you still do need that public engagement don't you that and kind of convincing hearts and minds that this isn't a scary thing this isn't um you know totally alien it's only 400 years ago they were here and belong here and all the benefits that they do but what are the conflicts what are the kind of um opposition kind of reasons or, or barriers to to this being kind of rolled out or kind of given you know the rubber stamp of approval by the government across the country well i think we should be, if we're really serious about this animal, we should be completely unsentimental um, and recognise that, like everything, it has impacts. Now, some of those impacts can be very, very beneficial to us if they're in a convenient place, and others others can be really uh, awkward or economically costly or whatever. So, for example, um, if we have yeah. uh, if we have beavers uh, in our landscape, they will cause localized flooding. That's what they do. But if that localized flooding is in a place that it doesn't really matter very much, uh, that can be incredibly useful in a providing uh, water to uh, help us when uh, drought strikes, but also. Uh, if uh, we have very, very heavy rain there and there's a settlement nearby which is prone to flooding, it will help to mitigate that flooding. It reduce the risk of flooding actually happening. So it's trying to balance... Because they're, the ecosystems they create yes. kind of act as a sponge for water, don't they? They hold a lot of water on the land, right? They do. I, mean, I can tell you my sort of theory on that in a minute, but um, uh, that, that is one of the impacts. Another impact is that they fell trees. You can't get around that. They knock over trees. Now, if it's uh, a willow tree next to a riverbank, that's probably not such a big deal. If it's your favorite apple tree at the bottom of your garden, that is a big deal. So you have to be able to show people that, you know, these these animals are incredibly useful. And by the way, here's a really cheap way uh, of protecting that tree. Um, What else can they do um, uh, impact-wise? They can burrow through a flood bank. 
and that can be really, really awkward. Uh, so we should perhaps be thinking maybe where where we actively want to reintroduce beavers. It should be in places which are, uh, on rivers which are not uh, protected by flood banks, and where those places are, if if beavers are deemed to be a really useful addition, then we need to make sure we protect those flood banks so beavers don't knock holes through them. So you know there th- there are there are no really complicated uh, management uh, uh, techniques. They're all pretty pretty uh, simple and basic, uh, and generally quite cheap as well. So um, we just have to accept the animal has impacts. They can be awkward, or, or and at the same time they can be incredibly beneficial. So let's just make the most of this, and with without too much fuss and bother, get a a, a rel- relatively cheap and easy management framework in place, and um, make things happen. Yeah, I like your point, Chris, about you know being unsentimental here, or not being so sent- overly sentimental, I guess. Um, and this is where. You know, there's debate and and you see people getting very, very heated in the rewilding sphere, but also outside it about, for example, um, you know, report recently of about 80 beavers being shot in Scotland when they've come into conflict with local landowners. And everyone was shouting that, you know, this is terrible. We're trying to reintroduce them. They should have been translocated. But what are your views on, you know, um, control, lethal control versus translocation, for example? Well, I think given the incredible usefulness of this species and that we have very, very few of them in the country, you know, we're, we're probably under a thousand individual animals across the whole of the United Kingdom. Right. Uh, shooting them just seems to be an extraordinary waste. Yeah. Shouldn't we just be uh, uh, catching them and moving them to places where they're really wanted? Uh, I mean, I do feel for those farmers uh, who are having issues but for heaven's sake let, let, let's uh, um, catch these animals and take them somewhere else I mean I, I totally agree uh, if there's if there is no other option let's shoot them I'll give you an example in Bavaria there are something over 25,000 beavers now and last year they shot yeah uh, uh, 1500 of them now right they are they're running out of uh, uh, streams without beavers to let beavers go into. So actually, they're getting to the point where uh, lethal control, where they're causing a problem, is necessary. But the point to remember is, in Bavaria, their population overall is still growing. It's still growing at the rate of hundreds per year. So the uh, the culling that's going on is not actually affecting the population growth of the animal very much. Uh, in other words, it's, it's, a, it's a sane... Um, and logical situation to be ending up in. We're a long way from that in Britain. You know, our, our country could uh, yeah. hold potentially hundreds of thousands of beavers without too much trouble. So let's, before we reach for the gun, let, let, let's get those beavers, if they're not wanted in a particular place, let's get them somewhere where we want them. Yeah, and I think it goes back to the kind of um, difference between, you know, true rewilding and rewilding with a little bit of management you know, we've wiped out a lot of apex predators in a system. So there are times where culling um, has to be part of the conversation. Deer in Scotland, perfect example. You know, um, we don't have wolves up there. So the deer are, again, damaging the landscape and and, and biodiversity. But it's just, it's a tricky conversation to have, isn't it, with um, the public maybe who don't understand the kind of e- ecology 
um, of it or why we might need to step in at it, times and manage wildlife. It is. And of course, when, when beavers were last here in the 15, 1600s, there were, what, three million people in the country? Yeah. Uh, there were large, large areas of the country were not really farmed very much. Um, it was a totally different place. Uh, I, I personally believe there's room for both uh, a lot of people and a lot of beavers, but we've just got to learn how to live with them again. And that's going to require uh, a, a little bit of a head shake from some people. It's going to require a, a, a little, bit of, little bit of input from government. And it's going to require from all of the, all of the people who are very, very pro uh, uh, these animals to actually understand that there are other issues out there that 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 uh, uh, ha- have some weight as well, and um, uh, c- you know c- come come to come to sensible decisions about how things go. Yeah, yeah. Sophie, you're obviously you know totally immersed in um, you know people who are heavily invested in wildlife and conservation and and rewilding and things through social media. Um, which I love, by the way. You've got great, <laughs> great style on there, but engaging <laughs> and uh, entertaining. If anyone doesn't follow Sophie, I highly recommend it. But um, what are the kind of reactions that you're seeing from, you know, different groups or different age groups, maybe, um, on, you know, these kind of stories in in the press or in social media, where wildlife is being persecuted and. Um. Oh, overwhelmingly, well, when it, in terms of persecution, the immediate knee-jerk response is that people are up in arms about it. Um, and I think with the case of the beaver, um, the fact that it's an incredibly good-looking, charismatic mammal uh, does it a lot of favours in terms of winning mm. public support. Um, and the fact that it you know, is associated in supporting populations of some of our best-loved species, like kingfishers and dragonflies and damselflies and salmon and trout and all these things that are sort of iconic in British riparian landscapes. So naturally the thought of that animal being um, persecuted is not very nice. But then it, as Chris was saying, it's such a complex issue and there are so many nuances to understand. So that's where the sort of public engagement arm and the, and the comms strategy of trying to bring beavers back to Britain, but also in a in a Britain that welcomes coexistence and understands that it's going to be a difficult relationship at times i think is so important to get right and i think um you know the, the anything that i've done that's related to beavers on social media has done really well and i think that's just because they're such an amazing mammal and people are understanding you know it, it's possibly one of the greatest stories in, in modern conservation you know we the irony of of, of the beaver instinctively want instinctively um creating a landscape that benefits us as well and yet we were the sole sort of cause of their demise 100 years ago um makes it such an engaging sort of exciting story and the fact that there's a chance to see them back here again legally and for them to be recognized once again as a native mammal it's so exciting um so i think we really have to play to the beaver strengths in terms of it being not just a charismatic mammal, but it represents almost the future of our relationship with the environment. And we're at a real opportunity here to rethink how we view nature and our place with nature. And especially, I think, with coronavirus and how we've almost realised how much we need nature in times mm. of crisis. Um, the beaver as well for the beaver trust is, is not just 
we're not just trying to solely help this one species it's it's a it represents so much more in terms of how we um how we our attitude towards ecosystem restoration climate change our influence and in in what we exert our what impact we exert on the environment so um trying to sort of relay that to in the public sphere in a place that at the moment is unfortunately quite volatile and very noisy with lots of negativity going on with you know the world is the world is very bruised yeah. at the moment um so trying to be sensitive to that whilst also trying to progress a very uh urgent sort of conservation agenda in terms of restore helping you know bring the beaver back to restore yeah. landscapes is um yeah, it's a lot of balance that needs to be achieved yeah, yeah. there. Um, I'm here. You know, I am hearing that there are a lot of landowners. You know, much more open now to to having beavers back and kind of getting the kind of, I guess, more cerebral ideas around beavers are good for climate change. You know, that's how are they good for climate change? Once you start to unravel it and pick it apart and understand what they're doing on an ecosystem level, you kind of get that. But equally, you know, I think you hear of farmers who are kind of just afraid of the unknown and um you know i heard one report someone at a, a kind of meeting getting quite irate and saying that the beavers were going to eat all the fish stocks in the river and it's like no they're vegetarians you know oh, no. so, <laughs> they, don't eat they eat trees and, and leaves and bark um but you know there's that kind of there's that <laughs> education job to do first isn't there um it's sure, tricky sure. and i think yeah as you said yeah. so it's like it's a crowded room that we're kind of shouting into at the moment. Um, so it can be quite tricky. Mm. But if a landowner did was open to having beavers on, on the land, what um, what's needed? What kind of scale or size of, of um, land would they need? Uh, what kind of conditions? Ideally, a, a water system. But you said, Chris, that's not absolutely necessary in some cases. Yeah, yeah. Um... The the fundamental requirements are a little bit of water, uh, and if it's flowing water, they'll make more very quickly. Um, and it's not so much uh, the acreage, if you like, is they need um, a, a sort of like a bank length, if you like, um, uh, which has got food nearby. The, the beavers won't go, generally won't go much more than about 20 metres away from water because that, that that's their refuge and their sort of safety net um yeah our, our site our, our site is five acres and about 200 meters or so of uh stream uh, and they have utterly changed that where there was one small pond there are now six ponds and every inch of that site uh of that stream across that land is uh, full of water. So whereas before they could have paddled up to their ankles uh, 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 everywhere, now they can swim from one end to the other, apart from jumping wow. over a, a, uh, a, a dam wall. Um, and they've created streams. Uh, there was one stream before, and now there are uh, three uh, going down across the site. Um, they've inundated all sorts of ground, uh, which was... Um, um, not even wet woodland, it was just rushes. And then now that's underwater mm. and a haven for all sorts of life. You know, uh, when we talk about climate change, all these areas are uh, stacking up carbon uh, through sediment and so on. All, all of these places, they're, they're creating reserves of water 
which, you know, if you're a fisherman, you need to kind of understand that basic thing about fish is that they need water. We had tiny fish in our stream before the beavers came. And they need cover in the water as well, right? Yeah, that's right. And now we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fish on the site, and they're all growing because they've got that resource to, to exist in. And we're talking about 200 metres. We've cut the flow in, uh, uh, off that site uh, by 50% since the beavers arrived, have arrived there during a storm event. So uh, it, this is a tiny, tiny fraction of a catchment. Just imagine if we had these beavers operating on the whole length of the stream between where we are and where Laddock gets flooded. I, I suspect that flooding would become a really unusual thing. Um, yeah. We, yeah. We've got we've got this animal which will do a whole bunch of stuff for us for nothing, no overtime payments, no nothing. They'll just crackle and do their job if we let them. Yeah, and I think that's maybe about kind of connectivity as well. We're we're sort of at a weird point in the UK beaver story where the beaver's not quite out of the bag yet. Do you think that you know we're past the point where? you know, the government's going to say stop or, you know, do you think they, they are going to be away soon and, and re-established of their own accord or are we not out of the woods on that front? Well, there's there's a couple of aspects to that. First is beavers are back in a few, probably half a dozen uh, catchments living wild in England. Mm. Now, those beavers... If we leave them to their own devices and we have a few centuries to spare, they can spread over the rest of the country slowly. The government at this point, I would find it very hard to believe they would allow uh, people to uh, eliminate those beaver populations just because it would be wildly unpopular and there's no reason for it. You know, you, you do not mess with fluffy animals in this country uh, no. except <laughs> at great risk. You, you just don't do that. Too many people watch Spring Watch and Culture no. File and so on. It, it, this is in our, it, it's in our DNA uh, to be nice to fluffy animals. So yeah. um, we, we have this choice now. Do we recognize as a society um, the incredible value that these animals bring back to us and, and, and accelerate that process? Or do we just sit on our hands and say, well, there's pretty. Let's not uh, do, let, let, let's not upset them anyway, and, and just leave them to get on with it. My my judgment as a as a landowner and a, an ecologist is that uh, we should be, and also being very aware of climate changes, we should be seizing this opportunity with both hands and uh, getting this animal back smartly. Yeah. And that's presumably the aim of the Beaver Trust is to say, right, we need more widespread kind of um, managed reintroductions and, and really promote the beaver as a solution to some of these problems, yeah? Uh, I, there is, without shadow of a doubt, we, we have to uh, make this animal um, normal again in our countryside. I, I mean, it is an extraordinarily special animal, but, you know, why should it be treated differently uh, 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 from, let's say, a rabbit or a, a roe deer? Uh, or a stoat. Yeah, these are really, really useful animals. And let's get them back. And let let's just see them. And technically, technically, rabbits not even native, is it? Well, uh, uh, sure. It's very yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Right. 
Um, well, it's all fascinating stuff. Um, I mean, to to get a bit more lighthearted, I think we can't um, have Sophie Pavel on talking about beavers without talking about beaver boobs. <laughs> <laughs> you um, you posted oh, something God. recently, and it got quite a lot of attention, right? <laughs> Uh yes, I <laughs> I um I, I have to say the lockdown for me has been uh sort of littered with the most incredible wildlife first for me, one of which was my long awaited so I waited five years to see a beaver and I live three miles from the otter where the beavers are. Yeah. And I've gone down many, many times. I've heard them chomping away, I've heard tail slaps. I've seen all their field signs, but I've never actually seen the animal in the flesh. And then I was down on a Monday evening a few weeks ago, and um, I had seen reports that the sort of matriarch, the, one of the original beavers that had been introduced in 2015 at the start of the trial, um, and she's got uh, she's got a pink tag, and she's very distinctive. She's a huge, she's a huge girl. She's big, you know, she's like almost the size of a small dog, like a Labrador. She's just... Mm. A chunky girl and um so anyway yeah I saw her and I couldn't believe it because there's just something so special about seeing any animal in its wild habitat and to see it comfortable and relaxed in that habitat let alone an animal that has been extinct and invisible from our landscapes for 400 years because of us so to see this huge beaver who was quite clearly suckling, she had big boobs, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, breathing successfully, cleaning, grooming herself, washing her, herself down at the, on the opposite bank, and then wandering on over and casually felling a tree and just carrying on with her, her day whilst we were all stood there agog with our jaws on the floor. Um, magic. Was just... So, yeah, it was magic, and I think um, I just sort of couldn't believe it kind of just made you know it gives you sort of a purpose really I think it sometimes with social media you kind of have mm. a good a good and bad a love-hate relationship with it and I think seeing that beaver there and then coincidentally very recently joining Beaver Trust um a couple of days a week to, to do comms and things it kind of made sense it was like actually for goodness sake like let's work our absolute hardest to try and get this animal back and allowed back and welcomed back yeah um just to see everyone else's reactions as well because there are a few other photographers down there and everyone just loved it and you know there are people who've come from a, a quite a way away to just even get a, a glimpse of a beaver or to even see its beaver sticks and its gnawed pencils and to feel the there's something amazing about feeling the the grooves of its teeth on, you know, Nord Willow or you or something, and just to, uh, you, you know, you don't get to do that very, you know, there's no other animal really that you get to feel its evidence like that and to understand what an industrial animal this is. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's just amazing. So beaver boobs was a highlight of my <laughs> lockdown. <laughs> it was yeah, it was pretty a pretty impactful post. It was, it's amazing to see um, you know so much engagement from it and people really getting behind it. I think it's a a great feel good story, a very yeah. hopeful story as well. Now um, you know it's, it's yeah, I think I think I think you're right. Yeah, I think hope is definitely a word that I enjoy associating with beavers because, as we were saying earlier, it just represents so much more than just bringing an animal back. It's it's a chance to change the way that we view everything. Yeah, um, and so. 
it's it's I think it's really important to promote those positive stories as well. And the Beaver presents a hugely positive story um, if we you know focus on engaging people and, and, and educating people about all the nuances and about the different arguments and the different views of the stakeholders and appreciating those and learning lessons from those, yeah. um, it can ultimately be a hugely positive um, movement for conservation in Britain. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Just um, before we finish up then, Chris, obviously you're you know a farmer, a landowner, you've brought beavers back. You obviously did your research and you knew pretty much all about them, but has there been anything uh, since you brought them back that has really surprised you or, um, you know, made you feel, wow? Uh, uh, lots of wows, uh, undoubtedly. Um, I think the uh, the two things that stand out, three things stand out for me. One is how fast they get going incredibly quickly. Mm. Uh, they, they When they arrived, uh, they did nothing uh, for their first day here, because I went down next morning to have a look. The following morning, they'd started to build a dam, and that dam increased in size until it was quite a creditable structure within a week. Uh, and then um, they carried on working on that. Uh, three weeks later, they started building the next dam downstream, and then four weeks after that, the next one. So we went from a, a situation where um, we had uh, been studying the hydrology of the site for two years before the beavers arrived. It rained 10 weeks uh, 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 later after the beavers came and they'd completely altered the hydrology of that site. So that's one thing. The next thing is, uh, the, yes. the next big wow is how much other new wildlife they bring with them. You know, we've had seven new uh, bird records. Uh, we've had four new mammal records. Right. Uh, a, a host of stuff you know I, I we're not even really recording all the uh, insects and 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 so on uh, invertebrates but there's just a host of new stuff that we look at um so th that's another big wow and then finally uh, i know we talk a lot about flooding and so on in relation to this animal we are going through uh very rapidly now the climate breakdown and Drought is now as frequent yeah. as flooding. In 2018, which was pretty bloody awful for a farmer, we had water we could pump out onto pasture, which we would not have had before. Uh, and this is this is critical. Uh, so it's not only supporting a host of new wildlife and so on, but it's actually keeping existing land users going. Um, it has that potential. So, uh, yeah, a lot of wires of this animal. Let's get them back. Brilliant. Great message to end on. So where can people um, support or where can they uh, learn more? Well, I was just going to say uh, on the Beaver Trust website, there's a, a, a donate button. Um, uh, and also uh, there will be or there are a gr growing number of uh, um, places around the country where uh, you can go and see beavers for sure and support local initi initiatives. But um uh, and the other one is to write to your member of parliament and tell them you want to see beavers back for the for these reasons. Um, yeah. 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 I'm loving I'm loving the donations page where it says and the kind of take action page. It says join the beavolution. <laughs> yes, that's a very good pun. I wish I could uh, take credit for that, but I, I can't. It's not your good. <laughs> it's not your usual good work. So you know. 
No, not mine. But yeah, so definitely, as Chris said, I think one of the most important things, and I think it's quite nice, I think there's a, a very empowered um, demographic at the moment who, who want to do just more than donate, and they actually, people enjoy adding their names to something. Mm and because it's empowering and it really feels like you're making a difference because you know now liking posts on social media and sharing tweets just isn't enough anymore to attract attention so definitely write into your mp and we are working on a on a strategy as part of our com stuff over the summer to make it really easy for people to write to their mp and to to help them out with you know how to format a template there and things like that so um yeah, that's really good. Also, um, social media, we're trying to get weekly blogs out from guest writers. Um, every Friday, we have new blogs. I'm always keen on hearing from um, new writers who, who have something to say. Um, and yeah, just trying to be sort of active on social media. We've got some um, public uh, communication competitions coming up over the next couple of months. We're going to be launching our first one in July. Yeah. Um, lots of opportunities for people to get involved and to share their voice and to just be part of this sort of exciting movement where um, we're trying to restore ecosystems and bring back yeah. a lovely animal. So brilliant. Yeah. Well, I will post some of those links on the uh, episode description. Um, but for now, I think uh, we probably we could talk about beavers all night, but uh, nearly an hour, <laughs> nearly an hour is enough. Um, so I just want to thank you both um, really for giving me your time. It's absolutely brilliant to hear about it. And uh, I hope once some of these, you know, movement restrictions lift, I might make it down to the River Otter in Devon or the Cornwall Beaver, tra- beaver Project and uh, see a beaver for myself. That would be great. <laughs> thank you so much for having us, Sean. No problem. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, thanks, Sean. It's been great. No problem. All right, over and out for us. If you've enjoyed this episode, um, do tune in for more. We're releasing every Friday at midday. And um, do get in touch with the Beaver Trust and join them and support them as well. They're doing really fantastic things. So thanks again, guys. And um, it's over and out for me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Sean's Wildlife Podcast with myself, Sean McCormack, produced and edited by Thomas Dinas. If you're enjoying the series so far, I would really appreciate it if you consider donating to our Patreon link below. That will really help us out with producing the podcast and covering the costs involved. See you next episode. Mm-hmm.